And we are indeed living in between. We're living in between Jesus' first coming when He came in humility, and then we, just the, we wait for and we long for His second coming when He comes in the fullness of His glory. What we've talked about so far in this series, in week one we talked about what our posture should be and really what we should be doing as people, uh, the people of God, preparing for the day of Jesus' second coming. So now as we're in, in just well into this Advent season, the first week we talked about how can we actually do that? We do that to stay spiritually awake and to be alert, to be engaged to the things of God. Uh, What we talked about last week, really the bottom line last week, was settling on this idea that if you are a follower of Jesus, that your life is to be one that is holy and productive. Holy and productive. We're going to see again what what that means for us today, but to be holy and productive. So as we are in the life between, there are things that we should do, and there's things that we ought to do. There are certain uh, virtues or values that our lives should be really founded upon, and of course that would be Jesus. But what I love about the Word of God is so many times there's correlations in the Word of God where, where it's just overlapping ideas. And we're going to see that today. I've, I've intentionally shown you this through this series because I want you to, to have a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. Because I believe even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe that your life will be improved if you simply do what it is that Jesus says that we ought to do. We're going to look at uh, just this amazing just representation of Jesus, and we're also going to see what he did and, and what he's still doing and what he's asking us to do if you call yourself a Christian, if you're part of the church. But what I love about this is even if, if you have objections to the faith, even if you have objections to Jesus, we're going to be able to look at the scriptures and people who, who didn't even believe that Jesus was God, but yet we're going to see that Jesus had a good reputation, that he had such a good reputation around the people that it was good enough to where they invited him to come and, and to read at, in, in the synagogue at the, on Sabbath days. That he was one of the ones chosen out of the synagogue to read. And that would be an honor. That wouldn't be something that anybody could do. But he had a good reputation with the people that he's around. And I know that not every, every Christian, and, and certainly not every Christian, not everybody who calls themselves even a Christian, has has portrayed uh, good things to you, and not every one of them carries a good reputation. But even if you are new to the faith or you're just asking questions about Jesus, I want you to look into the Scriptures as we read them together. Because what we're going to see is, although you may have objections to God's people, I believe if you look at the life of Jesus, you will have no objection. And you will, you will literally look at His teachings and say, okay, there's something that is defining about that, and there's something that is at least interesting enough, and I want that in my own life. Uh, what I found in the Christian life too, it's sometimes we, in this life between, we just don't know what to do. I mean, there's so many things that we're told to do. You come in a setting like this and maybe you've been here and maybe you've sat under teaching like this for years and years and you're like, what is there to do? And you hear something new every week and you're like, I have to do all of that? How in the world can I do that? Or maybe you're brand new to the faith and you're like, what's the first thing that I need to do? And, uh, and we want to be a place where you can come in and ask those questions and, and dig in and encourage one another and, and have other people we can like, that we can just lean upon to get answers to some of those questions. But last week we talked about being productive. And today we're going to see uh, just really some nuts and bolts on how can we be productive. This morning's main passage comes from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. 
starting in verse 14. We're going to read through it, and then we're just going to go line by line, and I've, I've outlined this out in such a way that I think that by the time we get to the end of this, we're going to have some ahas, and you're going to be encouraged. And also, I believe if you're a Christian, that you're going to have the, these, this challenge, something that, that it is, uh, some, rather that there's something that it is that you need to do because of what the Word of God shows us. So we will see how all of that go and see if, if all of those things I said are true. Um, but we'll have to wait until the end. So in Luke 4, something interesting about where we're going to be reading is this is right after the temptations of Jesus. So this is right after Jesus was drawn into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days and that he had uh, just this barrage of temptations from Satan. He withheld from all those temptations. He clung to the Father in those. And now after the desert, now we, we see what happens next in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he's still in power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to, to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the, Sabbath, or into the synagogue, excuse me, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then He rolled up the scroll and He gave it back to the attendant and He sat down. This was the common thing to do in their culture. The person would read from the scroll while standing, and then the teaching of it or an interpretation of it would happen as the person was sitting down. They were showing a high level of the authority of the Word of God, but then when the teaching would come, they would sit down. That's what Jesus does when He rolls it up. He rolled up the scroll, He gave it to the attendant, and He sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Him, and He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then in verse 22, this will be the last verse, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Is this Joseph's son? Such a great question. He's not just Joseph's son, amen? He's not. So now we're going to backtrack and go right back to the beginning of this passage. We see that Jesus was in the power of the Spirit. We talk about uh, around this, this group, this gathering, this ecclesia, this assembly of believers, and a welcoming place for non-believers. We talk about how we're to be living in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, we're to be living in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. We talk about spiritual disciplines then, then allow us to walk in the Spirit. These spiritual disciplines then allow us to have the Holy Spirit of God to examine us so we can have sins removed from us so that we can walk in the power of the Spirit just like Jesus did. What I find incredible is as Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, news about Him spread around the whole countryside. He had been gone for 40 days. But His reputation preceded Him. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised Him. Everyone praised Him. 
This certainly isn't the point of this talk, but I mean, Jesus had such a reputation even around people who didn't even believe that he was God. Can people say, the people around your sphere of influence, can they say that you have a good reputation? When they think of you and they, they hear your name, do they think, wow, that is a person who authentically follows Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a humbling question. Uh, even in my own life, I would say, you know, I, I could direct you to certain people and they would say, absolutely. And then there's another group of people and they would say, well, some of the times. And then there would be another avenue of people and they would probably say, I'm not really sure. And, uh, and I want everybody to, to have, when it comes to me, I want them to think, wow, he follows Jesus no matter what. And I know that in my life I failed and I presume that you have as well. So Jesus had a good reputation that he went into the synagogue. Again, uh, some things that were interesting and pertain to this particular passage. There would be seven people who would read in the synagogue. There would be one priest, one Levite, and five just normal people who would get up and read. There would be seven people who would read in the synagogue, and Jesus was chosen to be one of them. I want us to see this also, and then we're going to actually go to the right in our Bible in just a moment. But what we're going to see is how Jesus can open the scroll. This is so significant. This isn't just significant that he's opening the scroll, that he's one of the people reading. And this isn't just significant because what Jesus points to in verse 13 through 19 is actually a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah from 700 years. And it isn't just the fact that Jesus is saying that I'm the Messiah. It isn't just the fact that Jesus is saying that uh, the, the fulfillment now, today is the day of the fulfillment of what Isaiah said 700 years prior. There's something amazing about this because this also is Jesus letting you, just, he's just letting you into the glimpse of the future. Go to the right in your Bible, if you would please, to Revelation 4, 9. Hold your place in, uh, in Luke 4. But we're going to go to Revelation 4, 9. Reading through 5, 10. These are the events around the throne of heaven where creatures day and night, they can't stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is a future thing. And this is what it says in chapter 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. Pause here just for a moment. This is an amazing moment, but I want to, I want to show you something too. Um, a gentleman by the, the name of John was inspired to write this particular piece of literature. And he, John, too, is a creationist. Again, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, and you created all things. So John is attributing to God that God created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being he says, Then I saw in the, right, uh, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll 
with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven and on earth and under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the, tr- of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Who is he making reference to? Jesus. Then I saw a lamb, also a reference to Jesus, looking as if it had, it had been slain standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the world. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which is the prayers, which are the prayers of the saints. Then they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Jesus can open the scroll. Uh, So this has such significance because now, as we are living in, in this, these moments between, and we're still longing for when Jesus, what we just read, when that comes into fulfillment. But we're in this, this time between, but knowing full well that Jesus came in humility, and, and it was God with us, it was, it was Emmanuel, God with us, and there is a future day when Jesus Christ will come in the fullness of his glory. And if you are indeed a follower of Jesus, we have to be prepared for the day of his coming. So as we're in this time, in this season of Advent, that we're waiting for Christmas to come, now we have this this internal longing to be one with God so that we can uh, reflect upon Jesus and yet we don't get so bogged down in everyday life to where we lose track with what it is that God is calling us to do and what He has equipped us to do. Back to our main passage in verse 18 through 21, I just have a few things that I want to talk about when it comes to Jesus and then also us. When Jesus said in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is is on me because He has anointed me, I want you to first see that Jesus was qualified for the work. He was qualified for the work because He had the Spirit of God residing within Him. He was qualified. He He had been led by the Spirit. And we, like Jesus, have been qualified for a work. If you are in Christ, you are qualified for the work because you have the Holy Spirit residing within you also. You have already been qualified for the work. We're not waiting for, listen to me, church, we're not waiting for the better version of you before you do the thing that God is wanting you to do. This is the day where where you and I are to be spiritually awake. This is the day where we are to be Uh, productive and holy in our lives. This is the day where we are knowing who we are in Christ and doing what it is that God wants us to do. Also, we see that because He had anointed Him to preach good news to the poor. So not only 
First thing, not only was he qualified because he had the Spirit of God, we also see that he was commissioned to do the work. He was commissioned. Because he has anointed or set apart. Another word for that is the word sanctify in the New Testament. Because he has been set apart to do this work. And you and I, if we are in Christ, we have already been set apart and we've been sent. No longer just, just living our life for ourselves and just the, the broken down version of ourselves and just saying, well, I just gotta, I gotta wait until, until God fixes me before I do the thing that he's telling me to do. No, no, no. This is the day you've already been set apart and sent. Doesn't really matter where you are in your walk. We, like our Savior Jesus, have been set apart and sent. We have been qualified and we have been commissioned by a great commission. We've been commissioned in the Lord's service of making disciples, baptizing believers, and teaching them to obey. That's what we talked about last week, isn't it? We have already been commissioned into the Lord's service. And Jesus has called us to do this in the world. This is what He wants us to do. He wants us to to not just know that we've been set apart and sent. And not just to, to, to know that who we are in Christ, but He wants us to know that we've been commissioned. It's interesting, not Saturday, but the previous Saturday, it's a tradition over the last couple of years. Um, we have, as a family, as many as we could anyway, at the time, of course Austin's gone, but we would sit down and watch the Army-Navy football game. And unfortunately, um, Navy failed again for like three years in a row. We had a really good streak going, but Army won again. And so, so we, get, we get into this, and it's just like a little tradition. And as soon as Austin gets back um, from boot camp, that's my son, if you don't know that, um, he's in boot camp now. He'll be back next Friday. I'm excited about that. And uh, so when he gets back, I know next year is just going to be the, the just continually just giving each other a hard time and keeping this tradition alive and him being an army boot camp and me being, uh, you know, a person who served in the Navy. We're just going to have this rivalry that's not ever going to end. And uh, but what's really interesting, I, I started to dig into and there's so many questions that Grace was asking questions about the Naval Academy and Air Force Academy and West Point and what does that look like and um, do you know they actually have a full tuition? Like they literally pay you there, pay you to go there, and they pay for all your school. Um, but the really cool thing is once you get accepted and it takes literally like a congressman or the president or somebody like that to go in, and you get approved, you go through that whole arduous process. And then after that, you have to go through this whole process before you actually received before you receive a commission to go into military service. So you can complete all of that, and yet, and that becomes the process by which you become commissioned to go into your military service. So it's, it's a long and drawn-out thing, and it's, it's really, really difficult. And I think about this, spiritually speaking now, to think the, the long and drawn-out part for us to be commissioned, that like didn't even ha- that's not even our story. It's not even long and drawn out because once we commit our life to Jesus, in that moment, we've been set apart. In that moment, we've been declared holy. In that moment, 
We have been sent. Like in that moment, he's not waiting for the better version of us. He's not waiting for a four-year process. He's not waiting for you to have all of this, this intellectual ability. He's saying, no, 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 you, you have been saved and sent like right now. And to think that that's what we've been given, and yet the question that goes with that is, how well are we doing in that? How well are we really doing in that? And how many times do we, do we know that's our reality, but yet we don't share Christ with our coworkers, and we just think, oh, they're going to get it. I'm just going to be a good person around them, but yet we don't use words. And in where we are in this part of the country, we just tend to be really good moral people. And if we're just counting on our good moral ability to, to translate the gospel, we're going to be sadly disappointed. We've been set apart declared holy and productive, and sent. So yes, you live a good, moral, giving, compassionate, and godly life, but you do it, and then you share the words of the gospel. You share the words of the gospel. I, I want to share some scriptures with you. There's three different passages, and then three different definitions, and some of you are going to kind of nerd out on this. I did. And some of you are going to be like, okay, I just don't get it. Um, but, but I believe, if you, if you don't just turn it off, I believe that there would be something here for you if you listen closely. So, um, and this goes into uh, to the work of how and when a person is saved, but then also the process after that. So, as we are set apart, or saved, set apart, and then sent. So, the first uh, passage of Scripture comes from Jude 1. And... Jude 1 says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. So answer me this question, is this talking about a Christian or a non-Christian? You're shaking your head, but I don't hear voices. Christian, yes. Called. This word called means this. It literally means someone whose presence has been officially requested, especially a request to which refusal is not an option. You may be thinking, what does that mean? That means that God calls. That means that this is part of the spiritual walk that God calls somebody to salvation. So when we lean into what it is that, that God is wanting us to do, we don't, have to, we don't have to shrink back and think, well, I have all this responsibility on me. No, 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 that's not how it works. It's God already at work in someone. He's calling them. And this word, someone whose presence has been officially requested, that God is drawing, that the, there's a grace that is irresistible, especially a request to which refusal, refusal, easy for me to say, is not an option. Okay, so now this is the person being drawn to salvation. So it shows that being called by God. Called out. Set apart. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says this. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, or to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. This word sanctified tells us something. It's different than the word called. It means to be or become as dedicated to God in either in distinction, devotion, or in moral purity. To be or become 
as dedicated to God. So now this shows a progression of somebody who's being drawn to salvation. Now this is the person to become as dedicated to God. So now God saves a person. So now this is the work of God. So far all we've done to make this happen is surrender. This isn't our striving. This isn't our good works. This isn't, well, I've done this and I, I'm, I'm a business owner and now I've become a philanthropist. This isn't, well, I'm, I'm really generous. This isn't, I'm a nice person. That means this is the work of God that God calls and that grace is irresistible. And now the point of surrender to be or become as dedicated to God in either distinction, devotion, or in moral purity. I'm not done. One more. 1 Peter 1, 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Sanctifying. Sanctifying is the word we're going to look at here. That they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. That means God knew. God chose through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Interesting word here is this. It's sanctifying means to act of becoming personally dedicated to God, especially by becoming moral, distinct, devoted, and morally pure. So it's the act of becoming personally dedicated to God. It's the act. It's the partnership with the Spirit. It's, we talked about God's part, and now, as you've committed your life to Jesus through surrender, now, when we actually, and we've talked about this so much, but yet it, it, it relates, so I have to say it again. When we partner with God and we participate in the elements of spiritual formation, when we participate with the Spirit of God through the, through the spiritual disciplines, what we're doing is we're partnering with God who is sanctifying us. Those are the acts of becoming personally dedicated to God. This is change. This is, I was saved and now I'm changing. And, and I, I wrestle with this because I know some of us have been taught things to where we think and we've started to believe maybe that we can be saved and yet never change. That is impossible. If you're saved, you're going to change. You're going to change. It's not always pretty, but you're going to change. I'm going to come back to that at the close of this talk. So Jesus was qualified for and he was commissioned for a specific work. He was commissioned for, in accordance with this passage, to preach good news to the poor. So it was the good work of preaching. Preaching to the poor. This isn't just talking about somebody who, who had a lack of funds. This is, this, I had to dig deep into this. This means a reference to anyone who would realize that they are bankrupt in and of themselves and they have an inclination to, to seek God. So this would be a person who is who is poor spiritually they're poor in spirit this is who jesus came to preach to also we see another thing that not only did he come to preach but we also see that he's the great physician the recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed sight for the blind 
So we all come into this world spiritually blind. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That we all come into this, this world blind. And I find myself drawn to particular passages when it comes to Jesus as the great physician. I, I find myself drawn to passages like Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 through 30, and it says this, All things have been given to me by my Father. This is what Jesus said. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, he's the, the great physician, not that we just have to trust upon when we go into the hospital and we ask for healing as far as physical healing, but also he's the great physician that heals the soul. And I've never met a person in all of the countries that I've gone to, I've never met a person who doesn't need Jesus to heal their soul. We all do. We all need the great physician. And the last thing we'll see that I'll point out rather in verse 19 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor. What I attribute to this is God is the Redeemer. He's the Redeemer. He redeems brokenness of your past. He redeems the, just the, the fractures of, of your soul. He redeems that. He redeems your relationships. He allows when you commit your life to Him, and He says, come to me all who are weary. Just a rest for your soul. In a world where we tend to be just restless, scattered, He allows us to be centered and focused, living with purpose. The purpose to make disciples and to evangelize and to baptize and teach people to obey everything that He's commanded a believer to do. So the, the four takeaways I'll give you are these. We have been set apart. We have been commissioned. We are proclaiming the gospel message to the lost, brokenhearted, and the morally bankrupt. And we are working to reverse the curse that has the world in chains. We are partnering while we live in this life between. We are partnering with God to do something we can't do in our own power, something that he initiated just centuries ago. And yet we're in the middle of this so that we, we need to break free from whatever it is that's holding us back and step into what it is that he has for us. I want to give you a visual illustration of change. We'll see how this will go. I've never done this before, so this should be really interesting. Some of you are scared already, and you haven't even seen my knife yet. So I, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about change, and sometimes when God changes us, sometimes when God changes us, it's just within a moment, and that's a sweet grape. It's really good. Anybody want a grape? Anyone? Yeah, here you go. Pass it on down. Here you go. You got to share. Jaden, you had your hand up. Share with everybody else over there. These are good. I might eat this one too. There you go. You see, 
There are times in our lives when, when God changes us and it's, it's sweet. It's like, and it's instant. It's just right now. And that's great. How many people could give a testimony and say, yeah, I've had changes. It's just been instantaneous. Who's had changes like that? Thank you for being honest. It's great, isn't it? We're in, and again, it's sweet. Mm. It's good. It's just most of the time, now I have to talk with my mouth full. You're going to have to bear with that. It's all right. And yet, sometimes it, it, it's just so sweet, and it happens in a moment, and we're so thankful. And then other times, it's not as sweet. <laughs> sometimes, it's not really sweet at all. And sometimes, the way that God changes us, and when God sets us apart in the work of sanctification, that's what the New Testament says, Sometimes we have to go into it with the, this mindset. And I want to leave you with this. If we're this onion, just understand that, that when Jesus gets a hold of us, we, we have some, some rough edges. And some, he takes us even when we're not really that pretty. We're not really doing the right thing, but he just he takes us. And yet it's, it's the work of the Spirit when we partner with the Spirit. We lean into the Word of God and we learn into prayer, hopefully we don't need the great physician right now after I cut myself, um, but, but understanding that not all of us has changed instantaneously, and, and this is how he, he, he takes us, and he takes us in this way, and, and we're usable by God just the way we are, and yet by the work of his spirit, then what he does is he peels back the layers, and I wish I could tell you that the layers just come off quickly. And what I found in my own life is sometimes as the layers come off, sometimes they come off in chunks. Sometimes there's stuff that's just left over. And yet then, after I get to a place where I think, wow, man, I've, I've arrived. I've, I've learned some things. God, you brought me through some things. By His Spirit, what He shows me is there's something more. And he shows me that I'm usable in this, whole, in this whole space. And the things that I thought were holding me back were actually just ways that God was preparing me. And then there's another season where he's just peeling me back. He's just peeling me back. And it takes some time. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's not. But when we partner with God, when we do the elements of spiritual formation, we understand that we've been saved and sent. In that moment, as soon as, as Jesus takes us and he takes us in this condition, I don't want you to think that you have to wait until you get to all these layers underneath before you can become usable. He takes you just like this. He took me just like this. I'm not the man that I was whenever I was saved. And I'm sure you're not the person that you were when you were saved. But I want to ask you this in closing. Are you really living set apart and saved? I mean, are you really living the life that God wants you to live? Now this specifically to Christians. But are you living the life that he wants you to live or are you just kind of living your life and you just have Jesus as an add-on to what you want? 
What is your life like? I, I don't know. Maybe you would say, you know what, I've, I understand the whole onion thing, like that's my life, and maybe you have years of your life, and you would say, yes, this is absolutely me. I remember when this layer came off, and I remember when this misunderstanding was made right. I remember when this relationship wasn't right, and this relationship was mo- removed from me. Um, I remember when God took this away, and He put me in a better situation. Maybe that's your story. And maybe you, you have these memories of change, but yet, you're not telling anyone about the good news of Jesus. So although you've been set apart and, and you've been sent, you just stayed. And maybe even a different category of person, maybe for you, the whole thing about Jesus is, is maybe you're, you're brand new to that. And maybe even in this moment, some things are starting to make sense. Some spiritual things are starting to make sense. And maybe I said that about peace and having peace. And uh, when I was reading from Matthew 11, when Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary, and I'll give you rest. And that's just, that's that's a peace within the soul. Maybe you think, I don't have that, and I need that. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then at the end of my prayer, if there's a conversation that you would like to have with me or maybe you would like to have with one of the deacons or one of the other ministry leaders about some of those things, maybe you are not a Christian and, and yet you have the heaviness of heart and you would like to become a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity for that. But it's going to be up to you. I'm going to pray for all of us and then I'm going to say amen and then I'm going to dismiss. And if you need to have another spiritual conversation, I just want you to know there are people available for that. But now the ball's in your court. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you. We honor you. You are holy and you are worthy. You are worthy to open the scrolls. You are worthy to heal the brokenhearted. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of the the created beings in Revelation saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to, to know that we're loved in the middle of the layers being peeled back. Lord Jesus, help us to, to know that, that you have an offer of salvation. And Holy Spirit, help us to know that the sanctifying work never ends. And as you peel back those layers, we're better for it. I thank you, God, for your loving kindness towards us. We so don't deserve it. Amen. Amen.